I'm Becky Quick of CNBC and your host of The Forum. I will be guiding you through exclusive conversations among some of the world's global leaders, conversations previously held behind club doors. The Economic Club of New York serves as the premier forum for nonpartisan discussion, dedicated to connecting the world's brightest minds with preeminent public and private sector leaders. A nonprofit 501c3, the club is a 115-year-old platform for the conversations that help shape the future of our world. The Economic Club of New York, brightest minds, critical conversations, catalyst for innovation. Welcome to another episode of The Forum. Speaking of conversations that help shape the future of our world, today we focus on what is perhaps the biggest transformational element in shaping our future, technology. The minds at the helm of PayPal, IBM, NASDAQ, and Uber were all asked the same question. What's next in technology? We'll see the striking parallels that emerge across leaders' responses to this questions, beginning with the earliest statement from Dan Schulman, president and CEO of PayPal, who was asked this question back in 2018. Um, well, I think um, there are probably uh, three things that are going to hit in the next 10 years. Um, so you've got um, the movement from specific AI to general AI. So specific AI right now is like language translation or just a specific task. More general AI is thinking like you and I think, uh, but in a much faster, uh, able to consume unbelievable amounts of data. So call that the next 10, maybe 15 years where we move to general AI. We'll move from typical computing to quantum over the same time frame. Just to give you an example, like typical computing is, you know, on off and it follows Moore's law and, uh, you know, how many uh, transistors can you get on a chip and, um, you know, you're at the, uh, today, the unbelievable number of almost a billion transistors on a chip um, and that's been following, you know, more powerful, less cost. But when you go into quantum, even one qubit, which is the measure of a, of a quantum computing, is multiple, multiple billions of transistors on a chip. And, but most quantum today is 16 qubits. When it gets to 50 qubits, which again, probably five, 10 years from now, but five or 10 years from now, like that's going to be here before we know it. Um, then the amount of computational combined with AI, you'll crack, you'll be able to crack any crypto, any crypto within a second. So all of our security stuff needs to be rethought because with AI and with quantum, they're no longer secure. So you, so you basically put together AI, quantum, the explosion of data. Like Facebook has the equivalent of 126 digital books of information on every one of us. So what is that, like a digital book is like 150 pages of like a normal book. So think about how much data and information they have. Think about what, what happens when you combine AI and quantum on insights that can be created and what could be used for that. I mean, there's, we're talking about things that like whether it be um, physics, biotech, uh, security, um, 
weaponry. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that come as a result of these technological changes that will go on. And I think, um, I think we underestimate, underestimate, even though there's a lot of tension around it, the impact of those technological changes. Like, the world's moving so fast right now. You and I feel that all the time. It's just going to accelerate yeah. going forward. And I think we need to be prepared for what does that mean for jobs, for communities, for our families, for data, for privacy, for security. It's, a, um, it's worthy of a, of a long conversation. Something to pull out here is that back in 2018, Shulman says that most quantum computing at that time was 16 qubits. And he mentions reaching 50 qubits in five years. That would be the year 2022. To put that in context, in 2022, IBM actually unveiled a 400 qubit plus quantum processor. Let's hear from Arvind Krishna, the chairman and CEO of IBM, who recently shared his predictions for quantum with the club. So I always go by what is today and what's around the corner. So today, I think the opportunity for all our clients to leverage both hybrid cloud and artificial intelligence to improve their businesses, take cost out, is incredible. I think on cloud, people kind of see it. I think we don't have to convince people anymore. I think on AI, they have yet to see the full benefit. I think we're like, to use a baseball analogy, we maybe in the first or second innings of artificial intelligence. Then I think sustainability is as much about getting efficiency and cost as it is about the purpose of being good to the environment. And then there is quantum which I think is going to be bigger than cloud, but probably a decade from now. And that's a big prediction to say it's going to be that big. Cloud is hundreds of billions in revenue today, right? 16 years, maybe in the making, to end 2006, I'll say it was year one for cloud. Why do I say that? Because some of the big hyperscalers, that's when they began to come out. 16 years in, we are a few hundred billion. I think a decade from now, quantum could be that big. but. If I think about artificial intelligence, two and a half quintillion bytes of data per day. So that's 21 zeros per day. There is no way you're going to be able to digest that data without some technology. I think the only technology we know to harness data at that scale is artificial intelligence. Krishna is now expecting quantum to be even bigger than cloud in 10 years time. In her response to the question, what's next? Adina Friedman, the president and CEO of NASDAQ, touches on the potential that quantum and machine learning holds to transform markets. Then you also say, well, what technology is coming that could make those engineering challenges, um, solve those engineering challenges? And you do start to look at the cloud. You know, what's the cloud meant for is to create enor- like almost infinite scalability, where, they, where the cloud has not yet kind of gotten to a perfect place is on dealing with it in an ultra, ultra low latency environment, but it's getting, you know, it's moving along that spectrum so that getting to an ultra low latency, but also, you know, just infinitely scalable environment is becoming possible. So that then is, that's a big part of our journey to advance our technology into the cloud as a market operator. Most of our surrounding systems and other services are cloud-based today. Um, and then I think also machine learning. So machine learning is 
you know, phenomenon that's just getting started. And if you, you know, think about the theory of efficient markets, um, if everyone has the ability to come up with infinite number of, you know, especially with quantum or something like that, where you have an in infinite number of, of uh, circumstances and you can kind of model them down and find the best path in the market at every, any given time, you know, through machine learning algorithms, you, you have the ability to create perfectly efficient markets, theoretically. But those are the types of things we think about. Um, and in the early days of machine learning, we're using them more around the protection of our markets and getting being smarter in our alerts. NASDAQ is thinking about quantum computing to create infinite scale and, theoretically, perfectly efficient markets. But as Shulman mentions earlier in the episode, and others echo, with his emerging technology comes security risks that need to be addressed. For Dara Kashrashahi, the CEO of Uber, security is paramount in his predictions for the future. I think for me, the, um, there's, a, there's a ton that's top of mind, but I do think that customer data um, and companies, all companies being more transparent about the data that they collect and how they use that data is something that is increasingly at the forefront of technology in general and, and, and ourselves as well. We have a mix of, we have um, payment data, but we also have location data, and that's incredibly sensitive. So we're investing huge amounts of money in terms of security, et cetera. But we are very much focused on essentially using the customer data for the customer. Um, and I think that this next step of in the next five to 10 years, how uh, customers think about their identity, how they think about their data, how they allow other companies to monetize their data or use their data uh, one way or the other is incredibly important. And I do think transparency is, is the name of the game. And I think it's something that's just getting started. Fortunately, the recognition of security risks doesn't just live within the walls of disruptor technology companies like Uber. Friedman explains that protecting the integrity of capital markets has always been who the NASDAQ is and a responsibility that the company holds. I think the other thing that people really focus on is the security and IT security um, elements that might be challenged with a quantum environment and making sure we're upping, you know, the whole IT security industry is upping their game to prepare for that type of, that type of technology coming in. And that then goes to the digital, the digital certificates and digital asset world where the, you know, the, 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 the security of those, that type of, um, that type of code, the question is, is it going to be protected enough when you think about the the power of quantum to be able to, to basically break codes and and um and and basically infiltrate systems and infiltrate uh, software, so I think that that's the one that we all should be really starting to have a concerted conversation around to understand how it could impact markets going forward. But it could be twenty years before that hits the mainstream. We never know. So we have executives across industries talking about quantum, AI, cloud, and rising security concerns that come from these emerging technologies. But what does it all mean? How will it change our world? Krishna points out that progress and investment in technology will prevail against recession, inflation, and challenge because technology is the solution in nearly every case. So you have high interest rates, right? We have inflation. You have supply chain issues. You have demographic issues. What's an answer for most enterprises in the face of all that, including government? So technology is deflationary. Technology can be used to offset labor costs. Technology can be used to uh, offset uh, capital costs. So if you start taking those things, 
then technology is a possible answer through this. Shifting to quantum more specifically, Krishna helps us understand the ways it could transform the future. So quantum is not going to replace traditional computing. Let's just acknowledge that. Quantum is good for a certain class of problems that traditional computing really can't get to. So your bank accounts, they're going to be in a traditional computer. Why? Because a quantum computer is essentially probabilistic in nature. It may not give you the same answer each time. I think for your bank account, you probably want to get the same answer when you ask it a second and third time. So that is going to stay on traditional computing. Now, think about doing pricing. Think about doing risk. Think about inventing new materials. Think about carbon sequestration. When you think of these problems, I think today's classical computers are not going to be able to address those. And they don't, they're not really designed for them. They don't do it really very well. So if you approach these problems, so let's suppose somebody uses a quantum to come up with a better uh, battery for electric vehicles. Do you think that has a little bit of money attached to it? If you come up with better pricing for somebody who's doing derivatives, or if you can improve risk by even two-tenths of a percent, because you can do it in 30 milliseconds as opposed to in three hours, that's a lot of value attached to it. I think that's what excites us about quantum. If we can get better about food production, if we can get to better fertilizers. So fertilizers cause damage to the environment, but without fertilizers, forget it. We won't have enough food. We are still living off techniques that were invented by German scientists, I think in the late 1800s. So they haven't really improved since then. Steel making, by the way, steel and uh, cement uh, produce as much carbon dioxide or greenhouse gas emissions as transportation. Can we get better at it? I mean, because these are techniques that go back hundreds of years. I do believe that we can. The question is, now what is that? And you're not going to go experiment in a big blast furnace. I mean, that's kind of impractical. But could a quantum computer tell us what can come together as materials? Because quantum computers are going to be good at emulating what's happening at the physical chemistry and quantum mechanical level, which is this material world that I'm talking about. Right, from fertilizers to steel to cement to carbon sequestration. That's what they're going to be great at doing. We just need a bit more uh, progress. Not a lot more, a bit more. Would you like to be a part of the conversations at the Economic Club of New York? Learn more about membership, the New York City and National Fellows programs, and other opportunities for engagement in the club at www.econclubny.org. Let's talk more about the physical level impacts of emerging technologies. Here's Uber CEO, Dara Kashrashahi. Uh, to some extent, we're digitizing the physical world. You know, you push a button and a car shows up. Uh, you push a button and your Big Mac shows up in 30 minutes or less. Uh, the challenges inherent in, in the digitization of physical world activities are the next frontier. Uh, and the, the challenges of dealing with a, with a physical world and then digitizing the physical world in ways that are, that's responsible to all stakeholders and is ultimately profitable is really, really hard. You know, this is, um, and for example, freight for us, right? We are going out there and uh, in the olden days, you would call for a taxi, there'd be a taxi dispatcher who would call a taxi. Um, those olden days are still true in the freight world. Uh, the 
a shipper calls a freight broker, broker calls, uh, there are 20 truckers, finds a trucker, et cetera. All of that can be digitized. But that's kind of step one of that digitization. How you think about scheduling pickups and drop-offs, how you think about deadheads for freight, how you think about just creating this fulfillment ecosystem that is much, much more efficient, using data as a real driver in the real world, that's another example of this digitization of the real world. And it's something that ourselves and many, many other companies are working on. And it really is something that is emergent at this point. But it's a 10-year journey. This, uh, this is, it's, these are very, very hard yards on the ground. But it's something that we think we're uniquely suited to. And I think there's going to be a whole lot of successful companies in this area. The real impact isn't in taking physical processes and turning them digital. It's about making them better, making them more efficient, and removing friction. That's what changes the world. Turning back to IBM CEO Arvin Krishna. So it's like in many things. The first wave of digitization was all about, can I take the process as is and transfer it to digital? That doesn't really get you a big advantage. If you really want to think through all your processes and you want to go to, how, how do I begin to... Um, to really take advantage, cut through processes, take out the people steps, make it much faster. Now you need the skills. Leaders see this potential to cut through processes and remove friction with technology. Friedman reflects on the NASDAQ's role in minimizing friction and how technology is the answer to efficiency. Well, if you think about the role of exchanges today, and it actually always has been to maximize access and minimize friction. So our job is to make it so buyers and sellers can come together as efficiently as possible and that we maximize the number of buyers and sellers that are available in the market. So that's a big part of what we do. Well, you know, historically that was all done through uh, physical means and um, by putting people on the same room and kind of creating a crowd. Well, I think that today it's all done technologically. And so the engineering challenges that we face as a company today are fundamentally different than they were back in the 90s. You know, we're dealing with up to 62 or more billion messages in a given day being received through our, through our technology. We have to provide, you know, I would say low microsecond latency. So we tend to try to go for sub 30 microsecond latency from when we receive an order to when an execution is sent back to the client. As we continue down the path of innovation and creating new levels of efficiency, Friedman directs us to imagine what that could look like when more and more barriers are broken down. It's a global world out there, and the question is, over the next 50 years, do we find barriers breaking down where more and more trading can be done? I mean, trading is done globally, but I would say markets continue to be very domestic. And so can, is there more of a, at least a technology fabric that ties markets together I think the cloud is a big part of that. Um, but I also think that, you know, changes in the way that the world thinks about itself, the, the global economy versus national economies. In the next 50 years, if, if the economy really were to become a global economy, that gives rise to a whole new range of things that exchanges could do together. You've been listening to The Forum by the Economic Club of New York a nonprofit 501c3 dedicated to connecting the world's brightest minds for critical nonpartisan conversations. Be sure to subscribe now to be alerted to future new episodes. Would you like to be a part of the conversation at the Economic Club of New York? Learn more about membership, the NYC and National Fellows programs, and other opportunities for engagement in the club 
at www.econclubny.org. I'm your host, Becky Quick. Thanks for listening.